You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello there. I hope you are well. Something different for me today. So normally I am the one interviewing other accountants who are doing some great things. And I hope you have got some value listening to those previous episodes on this podcast. So today is a bit different. Today is actually me on the receiving end and telling my backstory of my journey from where I was to where I am now when I started my accounting firm way back in 2008. This was uh, an interview, a webinar that I did with James Ashford of Go Proposal, and we've converted into a podcast for you to listen here. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, and if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, where I'm most active, or send me an email at podcast at resahuda.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and tell us what you love about it, who else you would like me to bring on an interview on this podcast. I will do my best to arrange. So without further ado, I will now go into the webinar. Hope you enjoy and I will speak to you soon. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Reza Huda. Hey Reza. Hey James. It's good. It's going to be really cool. Uh, And the title of today's talk is how this accountant, Reza, built a profitable business that runs on 15 hours a week. The key takeaways that we're hoping for you guys to get today is to explore Reza's journey in growing his firm from 125k turnover to a 900k turnover with seven people, the pains he faced as he tried to grow, how Reza used pricing to supercharge the firm's growth, how he systemized pricing in his firm and for his team to manage, and Reza's four-pillar framework to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful firm, which is uh, really interesting. It very much ties in with everything we echo with the order of which we believe you should grow a profitable firm. Reza is an accounting firm owner and a coach and mentor to accountants. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to ask Reza if you could just kind of introduce yourself and just tell us your story. Just tell us how you've got to be where you are today. Thank you, James, and a pleasure to be here. Hello, uh, hello to you if you are watching. So what's my uh, story? Well, I, I started back in 2008. Prior to that, I worked for PwC, Big Four. I trained with them up in uh, Birmingham where I got my, my qualifications and the letters after my name. And I got to, got to a point where I wasn't really happy doing what I was doing at PwC. Uh, it was a long way up to get to the very top. I didn't really have the patience. I was quite entrepreneurial. I wanted to set up a business and I had lots of ideas. And I was actually going to, to jack the accountancy in and actually set up my own uh, my own cafe. Um, but then I think someone, uh, I saw some sense, uh, also my dad or someone just said, look, you know, you've spent all this time and effort in learning accountancy. Why don't you stick with it and find something or find a business that actually uses your skills? So, um, Yeah, serendipity happened and the opportunity came to buy a small practice in the south coast of England in Hampshire. My father-in-law, who had been running a firm, was looking to sell out and he had been talking to other firms, uh, looking to exit himself and and retire. And we got talking and um, 
uh, together with a friend of mine, we, we, we decided that, okay, fine, we'll buy into the practice. We'll take out a loan. We'll buy the practice. It was fairly small at the time, sort of 125K turnover around, uh, I think it was four or five employees at that point in time. Um, and so we started that process. Uh, uh, halfway through that, my partner, the, my friend from PwC, who was going to come in with me, decided to back out. He lived up in near Stokeway. So moving his whole family and his whole life down south um, kind of uh, I didn't, didn't fit in with, with his plans and, and he backed out. So I was kind of on my own. I had to um, then find some additional funds to be able to then buy the practice on my own, um, which meant that I was taking on a huge amount of debt. I was going to be earning probably 50% of what I was earning as a manager at PwC. Uh, but I thought, no, I've got to do it. Um, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it now. So I took the plunge 2008 and bought into this practice with my whole life from Birmingham to the South Coast. We were just uh, expecting our first child at that point as well. Um, so yeah, huge, huge kind of change in our lives in 2008. So that's where it all started. So I took over this small firm and I thought I knew it all having, you know, uh, worked at the the one of the largest or I think number one accountancy firm as it was, as it was at the time. I thought, yeah, this is easy. I can do this. Um, but actually, I knew nothing. And I had no idea how to run a business, how to run an accountancy firm. I knew the accountancy side of things. I knew the tax side of things. But I had no idea how to run a business. So it was a real rude awakening for me when, um, when I joined. And uh, obviously, I kind of went on a journey of trying lots of different things. Uh, in terms of how to grow, you know, buying buying lists of data and doing, uh, you know, random email shots and letter shots and doing telemarketing and driving around uh, Southampton uh, back in the day to meet with people who really weren't ideal clients and picking up um, clients and, and then just we did grow. We did grow initially uh, because I was able to to focus on business development and marketing, but it was growing without any direction, without any strategy, without knowing anything about pricing at all. So it got to the point where a few years later, um, we kind of, we didn't really have the clients that um, that I wanted to work with. Uh, we weren't really that profitable. I had a high staff turnover. Systems weren't really in place and something had to change. Yeah. Something had yeah. to change. It's really interesting what you said there, Reza. I know that, you know, I know a lot of firms take over or, or by other firms or whatever, and it's always harder than you think it's going to be. It always looks better than it does on paper, on paper and then you get into it and it's always hard. And I think what the other challenge is there that you said is you go from being a great accountant to then running a business and you, you've gone from here to now down here and you realize that you don't have any of the skills. You don't know how to market, how to sell, how to price, how to systemize, how to recruit, how to build your team, et cetera. And so you're right at the bottom, but here's where I think you guys struggle. If you're a plumber and you're brilliant at plumbing and you start your business, it's okay to put your hand up and say, I have got no idea how to run a business. Can someone please help me? If you're a professional, ex you know, an expert in what you are, in the professional services, it's much harder to say, do you know what? I've no idea how to run a business because you're, because what you think that people think is, yeah, but you're an accountant. You should know how to do this. And so I think there's that edit added pressure of where people don't know it, but they're also afraid to put their hands up and say, I have no clue how to do this because the expectations imposed upon them. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, James. And it took me a while to figure that out. I mean, I joined when I took over the practice in 2008. It wasn't until 2014, 13, 14, where I actually then reached out and started to find mentors and people who had gone there before me 
to find out how I can actually get out of my state of pain and improve where I was. Um, and you're and you're spot on because we are in a position where we are, you know, we are the advisors for businesses. Business owners come to us for advice. So how can we possibly not know what we're doing? You know, we are the, the so-called experts. So you're absolutely right there. It's it's a huge um, uh, element of uh, kind of fear and, and it holds a lot of uh, accountants back from actually reaching out to, to get help. But at the end of the day, you know, we, no, no one's taught of this. You don't, you don't get taught how to run a business when you do your accountancy exams. You don't yes. get taught how to run a business when you're working for a big firm because more often than not, you're a, you're a small cog in a big machine and, and chances are it's a traditional practice so they don't really, don't really know how to run a business themselves either. So without this uh, without this university of how to run a business without going through any formal kind of training or learning from others it's a very lonely place to be yes yeah cool so before we get on to kind of how you solve this challenge Reza, i'd just like to dig into the pain a little bit more and you, you keep saying the word business which i love i've got my friend timothy munro on here and he's a big believer in using the word business we're running accounting businesses here and i think that's very very important because it changes your mindset fundamentally to what you've got rather than an accountancy firm or an accountancy practice so that's really key so i would like you to just dig, dig into a little bit more of the pain that you were suffering in your business and also how that spilled over into your life as well because you said when you started you had one child well you carried on with that and you've got a few more now. <laughs> we have indeed, yeah. So, <laughs> yes. 2008 was the first, and uh, we've had uh, we had a couple of kids every well, no, one kid one kid every two years. So we have yeah. we've got four now. So yeah. four children uh, between the ages of seven and twelve. So by yeah. 2014, my fourth was born, and it was at that point I think when I really started to kind of panic a little bit to say, right, you know, I've got a big family here now. I need to, you know, I think we were still living in rented accommodation and we needed a, we needed a bigger home. And we had, you know, we, we, we very much wanted to give our kids the best uh, education as well. So um, I, I came from sort of humble beginnings. I went to a pretty poor comprehensive school, but, um, you know, we, we really wanted to, to, if we could, to afford to uh, give our kids the best start in life by putting them into, into private schools and giving them education. And we were making profit in an accounting firm, but, you know, with four kids, uh, putting them through private school is, is, not, uh, is not cheap. So I thought, well, something really needs to, to change here. Uh, something needs to change in terms of I... I, I need to change, uh, not only in terms of, you know, getting the practice to a level where it can generate the, the income that I wanted to do, the things that I wanted to do, but also I have a big family now. I don't want to spend all my time working so I don't get to see my, my kids. I don't get to, to drop them to school, to pick them up, to spend time with them in the evenings and the weekends. You know, I, we don't have a big family to, to spend all your time working. So I I wanted to be there for them. I wanted to kind of be able to take uh, holidays uh, during uh, half terms and Easter and summer holidays and Christmas and all that sort of thing. But it wasn't going to be possible with the way I was going, with the hours that I was working, with the way things were in the practice. So again, something had to change at that point in time. Cool. So what were those pains that you're experiencing in the business, Reza? Yeah, so pains are on all fronts, really. We didn't really have... Um, ideal clients. We uh, were poor on our systems. We had high staff turnover. Uh, pricing wasn't great either. So 
I went on a journey, like I said, I discovered uh, mentors and I started to learn from others in the profession. I started to, to read more widely in terms of trying to upskill myself in the realms of sales and marketing and just general uh, business knowledge. And the first place I started or the place where I started to get the biggest results was working on my pricing. When I started to learn about value pricing, I came across sort of Ron Baker. Um, I, I, I started to read a bit widely on pricing, started to implement some of the things that I was reading about and hearing about and saw that, wow, this stuff is powerful. When you start to make changes to your pricing, that has an immediate impact into your bottom line. I mean, we as accountants all know that when you increase your pricing, you do nothing else but add more profit to your bottom line. But we are so hesitant about doing so. So learning about value pricing, about realizing, well, you know, just changing the mindset in terms of because back then it was a lot of people, you know, we were still stuck in the, the time-based billing age and actually coming to the realization that, you know, this is crazy. You know, just because the, this is the way things have always been done doesn't mean that this is the way things should be done. And coming to the realization that clients are not buying time from us. Clients don't want time from us. Clients want us to solve problems. And the bigger problems we solve, the more we can charge. So let's focus on what are the value areas? What value are we derive? Are we giving to clients? What outputs, what outcomes, what results, what solutions are we giving to clients? And let's start to price based on that. So that was a starting point, really, in terms of, you know, understanding value pricing and then starting slowly to implement changes. And I guess I was in a fortunate position. This was kind of pre-software days or pre-go proposal days. I kind of learned pricing manually, just like you learn uh, accountancy manually using T accounts and learning debit and credits fundamentally on, on pen and paper. I kind of learned pricing that way, actually reading about it fundamentally, the, the foundational principles behind it, behavioral economics and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and through that, then when software did came, come along, it made complete sense because things like the importance of giving clients certainty, which is what they want. They want two things mainly. They want certainty and they want choice. They want certainty in what they're going to pay and they want to be able to choose what it is that they, uh, that they, uh, that, that, that they buy. And, it, and then that gives you a better result. So, you know, focusing on, on those sort of things gave me that, that kickstart to, uh, to sort out my pricing. Um, and then, then it just snowballed from there. That's great. That's cool. And you were, what I'm interested in here is it's, it's all great kind of learning pricing theory or how to do this. And I love the fact that you built this out on paper first. I think that a lot of people dive into software and they think that software is going to solve all their problems and it doesn't, and it can actually make them worse. If you've not fully resolved your mindset about what it is that you're trying to do here and you've not mapped it out on paper first, what you can do is you can take a broken mindset or a broken process. You try and shoehorn it into a piece of software. doesn't work. And then you blame the software, right? This software is crap. Let's find the next piece. And you keep going and going and going and it won't get you the results that you want. So to resolve this first in your mind and then to resolve it on paper first is the right way to go. And then to find the software, you've gone a bit blue, Reza, but it's fine. We can, we can still hear that. That'd be cool. Sorry. Focus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Come that's back. cool. There we go. But learning it, learning the theory of pricing and then actually going and implementing it and sitting with that first client and taking that idea of, right, now we need to, you realize you need to charge more to this client. What did you have to go through there? What were the pain barriers that you experienced there? 
Yeah, so it takes time. I mean, you know, understanding you know, a value pricing because it's so subjective, it takes time for all the components to sit in your head and actually appreciate. Well, because value is so uh, so subjective, how do you value what we do? Because at the end of the day, it's pricing is is really simple in terms of the people will be willing to pay anything so long as the value you give them is more than the price that they pay. So how can we articulate the value that we are providing in a way that is more than the price that you have asked for? And if it is, then clients will buy. And value, in terms of what we do, is essentially made up of, of two components in my mind. There is the there is the tangible value, so all the stuff that we actually do, that we actually produce, that you can touch and feel, the accounts, the tax returns, the bookkeeping, all that sort of stuff. And then there is the intangible value. And the intangible value, again, is all around, right, so how do we make our clients feel? What kind of experiences do they get from working with us? How convenient is it to for them to be able to get in touch with us? How efficient are we? How prompt are we in coming back to them with their inquiries? What, what kind of projection do we give in our, in our branding, in our look and feel, in the way that we do things? Again, using technology. These are all ways of increasing the perception of value in our clients' minds and that should be our ultimate goal because the more value we can give or the more value we can project, then the more we can charge. And that's the way it should be because there should be, there is no correlation between time and value, right? But there is a correlation between price and value because the more value you can give, the more you can charge. And therefore it's win-win. Because if you're giving more value, clients are prepared to pay more, which means that they are winning and you are winning as well. When it comes to time and price, there, there is no correlation there. You spend a lot of time, but if you haven't given a client value, then they're going to begrudge you for it. Um, so yeah, time and price really is a thing of the past. Let's focus on giving more value and therefore we will be able to charge more to our clients. It's an amazing spot. It's an amazing spiral you can get into if you don't break that. Because what happens is, what people say is, yeah, but my clients won't pay anymore. And the reason why they won't pay anymore, really, is because you can't give them any more value. And the reason you can't give them any more value is because they're not paying you enough. And so that you have to break the cycle of charging more to be able to then give the level of service that they actually want to get, where they're willing to pay more. And then it starts to go up. So you either start to spiral down or you start to spiral up. Now, obviously, you've had that life-changing event where you've now got more children. You've thought about what it is that you want for them, what it, for your life. You're in rented accommodation. I've seen Kieran Feeling on here uh, chatting in the, in, the, in the chat there. And I know, and he shared this publicly before, where he had an, a health challenge that made him reflect on life and reevaluate what life meant. And that made him have his breakthrough. So you've got that breakthrough there. And I can tell by talking to you, and I know that you post lots of videos, Reza, you, you come across really confident. And I think, yeah, I can see how you'd be great, um, you know, growing a more profitable business, understanding value pricing, communicating that, et cetera. But the title of this talk was how you grew a practice on 15 hours a week. So the only way you can do this is by getting your team to do this. So 
how do you go from that challenge of you understanding the theory of trying it, you being confident, you being the business owner, so you've got the motivation to want to increase the price, but now you're trying to get your team to then do that. How does that change start to happen? Yeah, so it's a, it's a good question. And I guess it, it maybe it's a, it's a good time to kind of bring in the the, the four pillars as well. So Perfect. I kind of went on the, on a journey to, you know, learn about pricing first. And I, and, I, and I saw the impact that pricing had on changing the fortunes of our practice. Then uh, it dawned on me that actually now people are, are willing to pay more for a specialist and we can give more value to a certain sector of people rather than they're trying to be a generalist. So then we started to go out and, and niche our, our offerings, um, started to niche into the, the property uh, owners area and got some really good results from that. So that is the pillar of positioning. So these are external pillars, the the pricing pillar and then the positioning pillar. So how do we position ourselves to the marketplace? How do we show that credibility, that authority, so that we come across as the credible expert and people reach out to us to want to work with us? And automatically that perception of value is greater because we are the, the specialist and people just feel as if we understand them better because we've got other clients like them. We've seen the problems that they have. So automatically that then increases the value we can provide. That's all well and good. But if you don't have then the other two internal pillars, as I call them, which are process and people, then things are, are not going to be delivered. You know, client service will fail. Uh, you won't get referrals. You'll do a bad job. So we then had to work on our internal pillars. And that's how it came come up with this four pillar framework that you need to have in place and these four foundational pillars to really build a, a profitable, successful and impactful accounting firm. So we've got the, I started, you know, I had a lot of knowledge on, on, on value pricing. I wrote a book on it, but actually it's very difficult then. I, I can't expect my team to undergo the same level of learning that I did, spending all those hours and days and reading the books and going on the webinars and um, and trying out the process. It's not scalable to get expect my team to do that. So um, now, kind of the fast forward a couple of years, you know, software had come out, so we started to, to use software. And just one point on that as to as to why software works. Why is it that when we use the likes of Go Proposal, do we get such good results? Well, fundamentally, it's because we are involving the customer in the buying process. And when you involve the customer in the buying process, you get a better result because you're giving them certainty and you're giving them choice. Think about all the uh, uh, so, so the one thing you should not do is, which what would I used to do, is to to send to meet a client and then say, yeah, that's all well and good. I'll, I'll send you a proposal and I'll go back to my office and I'll spend time crafting out a nice, lovely proposal, send it out to them by, by email uh, or post back in the day. Um, and that's the one thing you should absolutely not do. That's the one big mistake that I used to make. Please do not do that. Because when you do that, you lose control of the process and all you end up being is a number on a page. And your number on a page gets compared to somebody else's number on a page. And chances are the cheapest man or woman wins or the, uh, the cheapest one is used to bat down the higher one because they want to work with you for whatever reason. So please don't do that. Um, I learned the hard way uh, and, you know, for, for, since then, you, you, get much, you get a much better result by having that price conversation in person. Just like if you were to 
when you go and buy a car, for example, nowadays you can get everything online. When you go and buy a car or an Apple product, what do you do? You go online, you're presented with options, you select the option that you want, and then they present to you, okay, well, you know, now you can have uh, heated seats for a bit extra, you can have a, a Bose uh, a surround sound system, uh, you can have a heated steering wheel. And if you value those things, then you will add them to your cart. You're building up your own spec. And these car companies and the likes of Apple, when you go and buy an Apple product, they get much better results by giving you, the customer, the ability to choose what you want to buy. So similarly, uh, by giving customers control of that buying process, by allowing them in to that price conversation uh, using software, that's why it works because we're we're bringing them into the to the to the conversation and we're allowing them to to um, to to control the buying process. We we talk about team, aren't we? So how do we then get oh, to, so, so pricing, so, positioning, process, people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so now, uh, so before the software, yes, it was difficult to kind of get the team to have those conversations with clients to kind of understand the level of uh, of how we need to to phrase it. You know how we need to to break things down. So software is a huge revelation. Um, we started off one software, we then shifted on to Go Proposal, and that has now allowed my team to have pricing conversations with our prospects, with our existing clients, which has freed me up massively uh, to do what I do, enabled me to, um, to focus on you know, other interests and, and helping other accountants now because my team can have those pricing conversations with, with prospects. That's great. That's great, Reza. Thank you. I've got loads of questions to ask you off that and we've got questions coming in here as well. So in terms of those four pillars, so solving the pricing, you've got processes, people, and positioning. So they're the, the four that you've got. Is there an order that, so let's say, for example, you've got a firm that's struggling and they've come for help. Is there, does there tend to be an order that you should go through those P's in, in building out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the one you should start with is pricing. <laughs> that yeah. is where I started because that is the one that's going to make the biggest difference in the shortest amount of time. So yes. everyone's probably aware of the Pareto principle, 20% effort, gives you 80% results. 28 yeah. rule applies to most things in life. So focus your efforts, your 20% efforts on your pricing, and that will give you the 80% results. And when you do that, when you get your pricing right, when you start to be able to then make more profit on jobs, you can then use those profits to reinvest in other areas of your practice, like positioning and processes and your people. So yeah. pricing gives you that springboard to be able to then earn the profits to then reinvest in those areas and, and then build those up um, yeah. afterwards. And, and is there an order of those other steps, Reza? Does there tend to be an order of those other steps or does that depend on the challenge that firms are facing? Yeah, it, it does depend slightly, but um, I would say pricing and positioning kind of the two external pillars to really focus on those first. If you can get your pricing right and your positioning in the marketplace, because now yeah. it's, it's harder than ever to, uh, to differentiate yourself. And if yeah. you are a generalist, then um, it, it's becoming very tough. So how do you really become crystal clear on your messaging as to who you yeah. solve, uh, who you serve and the problems you solve to be able to attract the level of clients, your ideal clients to you so that, that are prepared to pay you the higher fees and that you can service comfortably within your zone of competence to be able to service them profitably and more efficiently than you would kind of, you know, every, every potential SME in the country if, if you don't have really a, a honed in specialism. Yeah. And, and just on that, with a lack of positioning and a lack of differentiation, then all you have to differentiate yourself is price. 
And then at that point, it will be the cheapest person that wins. And then you're on the spiral down. So I see how you have those two hand in hand. Mm. And that's typically what we see. So pricing and positioning. Then the next issue is, right, well, now we've got more business coming in. We need to get our processes right. And then you start to get your processes right with the team that you've got. So they start working more efficiently. And then as you start to get more clients, the next thing is, right, now we need to get more people. So then, so typically that's the order that I see this journey going on. But either way, it always starts with pricing. Now, you've mentioned um, in, involving the customer and bringing them on the pricing journey, which I absolutely love. And obviously, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of that. And I know that people are very often nervous about doing that in front of the client because they're afraid of the questions that they get asked during that meeting. And so they're scared. So they send it afterwards. But those questions need answering anyway. And so you're either going to answer them while I've got you here and while I can talk to you about them, or you're going to go off and you're going to talk to your mate in the pub if you're allowed to go to pubs or you mate on the phone or whoever, and then you're going to think about things and come back at a time later on. So I love the importance of taking control of that. Um, and I know that does require a, a, a step in confidence, doesn't it? To be able to, to do that. Yeah. yeah. But then you've hit on one thing here, which I know, I know we're going to have a contentious thing. And I think when I thought, when I knew I was going to have this call with you, <laughs> I thought I know we're going to hit bump heads on this one and let's do it. Let's bump heads. So, you're a believer of the kind of three-tier pricing model or a fan of that. And I'm, you know, quite outspoken about never have three-tier pricing. <laughs> you should only ever offer one, one choice to the client, which is the right choice. And my belief about that is that if you give people multiple choices, you undermine your own authority, you hand control back to the client. And what if they choose the wrong one? And it's the professional, you know, I, I always kind of equate this to kind of like surgery. Like if someone's coming to you uh, and you're the surgeon, then I should prescribe to you the best, you know, operation procedure or whatever it is that I think is right for you. And I'm not going to say, Hey, Reza, do you want my 10 stitch package or my seven stitch package or my five stitches? How many stitches do you want me to put? And you're like, no, I want the right amount for me. So but I know you use GoProposal, so I'm very interested in how you how you reconcile this and how you are able to give choice to clients without undermining yourself. You've done all this hard work in the positioning. You now want to communicate you being authoritative. How do you not undermine that by then handing over choice? And how do you, and we've already asked somebody asked this here, how do you make that work with GoProposal? So I'm very interested in exploring that with you Reza. <laughs> Thanks James. Yeah I think this is the bit people are waiting for. I think Lena's just mentioned this is the bit I was waiting for. Here we Ooh. go. Come on then Reza. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go for this. <laughs> yeah no I, I I'm glad you raised that James because I, I have a um, I have a riposte to your your surgeon analogy as well. So absolutely what what we do in terms of the quality the output will always be the same. Technically when you're doing a set of accounts the amount of technical input in terms of the accuracy in line with accounting standards will never be different. But how we deliver that can be. So just going back to the surgeon analogy, absolutely, the, the surgeon has to give you that procedure in order to fix whichever problem you are having. But you can have choices in terms of who you get that surgery from and where you get it. For example, here in the UK, you have the option to have your surgery done for free under the NHS, or you have the option to be able to go private and have surgery done under private healthcare. The surgery will be exactly the same. 
in fact, in most cases, the doctor will be exactly the same. But how you get it, how you're made to feel, the convenience and the swiftness of getting an appointment through private is much swift, uh, faster than NHS. You can take that to another level. If you've got a problem and you need surgery, you can not only go private, but you can go to the best surgeon for that particular procedure in the country. And that would be even higher. So in terms of choices, we have choices available to us in, in every sphere of life. And, you know, this is not this is not me talking. This is kind of the world of behavioral economics and people have won uh, Nobel Prizes in economics like Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky. Uh, you know, they've written books on this. The yes, too many choices then uh, is not a good thing because then you get the paradox of choice. And but it's been known that giving three choices is kind of the optimum uh, when you are uh, presenting any prices to customers. So that was actually my, my dilemma because we, we had this conversation maybe a couple of years back when I um, I was using another pricing software where I had the you can say it you can say the name it's fine we're, we're <laughs> friends here yeah I, I was using effective pricing together with practice ignition uh, giving three-tier pricing and everything that I'd learned about pricing was based around kind of the model of of three and giving choice to customers and when I came across Go proposal the it looked great and the output was the best on the market in terms of that ability to give a proposal in real time uh, was better than anybody else. All the other ones you actually had to, you know, you had to um, export the data into something else. And, and it wasn't just a one click uh, a button to send a proposal like a proposal is. So I was in a dilemma, right? I, I loved the output and the proposal side of things, but it only gave me one price. Uh, so that was the bit that was holding me back from going with it. But then I think it was when lockdown started, when I didn't have uh, my Karen in the office to quickly, you know, after a call with a client or a meeting with a client, um, I would present the price on the screen and then she would then quickly go away, put it into practice admission and be able to send it out. I didn't have Karen with me to do that. And in lockdown, I was having a lot of Zoom calls with potential clients and I needed the ability of just sending something right there and then to, to free up my time and to avoid that headache. So I thought, let me give it a go. Let me just run with it. And actually, we have over time kind of developed our Go proposal in a way that for some services, we offer three options. So for example, the we have a virtual finance director package and I have a brochure that I've created for providing this virtual finance director service. It's a very high level offering for certain clients. And there are three options in it. We have a growth FD package, we have a reliance FD package, and we have a comfort FD package. And all these three packages are explained in our brochure and I would talk about this with a client so that when it comes to actually choosing the option within the line item, we give them those three options and then the prices are different depending on what they choose. So I've kind of found a workaround to still give the client three options in certain areas, but the display, I guess, is just the, the, one, um, the one price at the end, which, um, okay, I've kind of come to terms with because uh, all the other things that are so great about it, the ability to send that proposal there and then. Yeah, and I love that. And it's quite funny that you say that because I, I'm I think what I'm against is is giving people choices when it therefore removes you from potentially having a difficult conversation with somebody. So if, if you know that somebody needs to be spending 
£600 a month, let's say, on their accounting services, but you just don't have that conversation to convince them as to why they should be investing at that level. And then you say, well, okay, well, I'll take myself off the hook and I'll say, well, I've got one at 50 quid a month, one at 200 quid a month, and one at 600 pounds a month. So when people use it to abdicate their responsibility to have a difficult conversation, I think that's when I'm opposed to it. And I'm also opposed to it when you give choice for everything because it just becomes crazy. But what you're actually talking about there is, is saying, well, this, based on my expert opinion, this is what you actually need based on our consultative conversation. But where you've got choice and flexibilities in these areas, and despite the fact that I'm quite outspoken about three-tier pricing, in our firm, in MAP, we do actually offer three-tier pricing <laughs> for certain services. So, for example, you know, management accounts, do you want monthly management accounts? Do you want monthly management accounts with a video or do you want quarterly management accounts? So that's an example of a service where they can have flexibility and they can have choice. They still need the service, but we're going to give them that flexibility. So I... So I think you've actually arrived at the same conclusion that we have, which isn't strictly speaking three-tier pricing of here's three choices, nothing to do with me. All the responsibilities on you. If it goes wrong, you're to blame. You're actually guiding them through that journey and giving them choice as well. So I think that is the, the best solution. Now, I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Reza, because it's quite unfair, but I am going to as well. So <laughs> if you've got some three-tier pricing in there that you'd be willing to share, what I could do is I could load those into Go Proposals. So if people wanted to see some examples of Reza's three-tier pricing, then they could actually go and drop those in and see them. So if you're willing to share a couple of those examples, Reza, then we can do that if you want to. That's cool. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. So it wasn't too hefty, that. That wasn't too... Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't and, too... And, and I think, you know, you're right. We, we, we It's not a case of when you, uh, you know, when we give three options, it's you don't... You you are still the the expert and you will guide the client in terms of what's best for them. And yeah. most of the time they ask us, well, you know, if, they, if they're confused, they will ask you, well, which one should I go for? And just yeah. the ability to, to give them the, the options of, of one or the other, then it, it kind of uh, helps them make that conclusion as well. Because every, you know, we're all different. Different people value things differently. You and I value things differently. I, I um, was it, uh, having a conversation with uh, Carl Reader a few weeks back, and he, you know, he spends a fortune on trainers, right? Because he values trainers. I'm not one for you know designer gear or anything like that, but I like to feel special. So I will go to you know if I'm booking a holiday, we'll go to a nice hotel. Um, if I'm going somewhere, I will book business class. If I'm flying alone, because I like the experience that it gives me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wouldn't spend money on on a designer, you know, pair of jeans or anything like that, because, you know, we're all we're all different. And what we do is we, uh, I, I, you know, you know, this we, we make decisions emotionally and then we justify them rationally. So I will make a decision that, yeah, I'm prepared to pay extra for business class because of how it makes me feel. But really, I'm rationalizing in my mind to say, well, actually, what I'm paying for is the ability to to be able to have a, you know, a rest and a good night's sleep. So when I get to my end destination, you know, I'm not going to be tired. I'll be ready for that meeting. I'll be able to work on the plane because I'll have, you know, so much more room and all the rest of it. We justify these things rationally, but we are emotional beings and we will make every decision emotionally. Um, And often when you're giving three options, what you're doing is it's the, it's not the actual output or the accuracy or the quality that changes. It's just the additional frills that 
give those intangible values. So for example, you know, more access to you, 24 seven access to you, for example, or the ability yeah. to speak to you as a partner, as, a, as opposed to speaking to a member of your team. Um, so it's all those additional added frills bits that you would put on to say a premium package, because some people, they don't want to miss out. They always want the best things in life. Um, yeah. Hence the, you know, the three tier pricing. And what, what I would kind of finally say on this is that um, for, uh, we do a lot of kind of one-off uh, projects, uh, tax planning, for example, and those we don't put through a good proposal, I would always have a separate um, conversation and I have a nine-step framework that I use to uh, to actually price up one-off projects. And we've got, you know, some some, some really good success of that, being able to, to win uh, fees, uh, six-figure fees for advisory work when using that process of really actually understanding the pain points, doing the fact find, and then coming up with a, a bespoke presentation for the client where we go through what is the impact of, you know, uh, of you staying in this state of affairs. If you, if you manage to, uh, 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 if we manage to get this right for you and undertake this planning, what is the result of that? What are the savings? And then coming up with the, the three options for them. And uh, to, to give you an example as to some of the things that I used to differentiate between, say, the, the basic package, the middle and the premium. So I think I have one where they're called the, the, the top one, the premium is called the no risk package. The middle one is called the peace of mind. And the last one is called the essential. And what the no risk package does, so for example, if we're doing tax planning, it includes two things that the other two don't, which is HMRC defense. So if HMRC inquire into it, then we will handle it for you. No extra cost all the way up to the highest of courts in the country. And the other one is a fee guarantee. So if after all of that HMRC turn around and say, well, actually, you know, this tax planning doesn't work um, and you have to pay the tax, we'll give you our money back, right? So that's a way of aligning our proposition with the outcome that the client wants to receive. And again, people are risk averse, so they will attach a high value to something like a guarantee. The middle yeah. option has doesn't have the guarantee in it, but has the HMRC defense. And the essential one gets the job done, but doesn't have those two extra factors that the other two packages do. So depending on people's risk profile and what they value, they can then choose what's best for them. That's really interesting, really good. And be interesting to speak to you more about the um, the the one-off project that you're doing. We're building a piece in Go Proposal that allows you to, that will allow you to do the projects within there and have staged payments with milestones that can be signed off by the client or by yourself as well. So we could explore that. So we've started to get some questions coming in here and uh, I'm conscious of time. I want to make sure that we start to work through these. Okay. Before we start tackling these, is there anything else that you kind of want to share about your journey, about your process, about your four steps, about what you've done with your team? Is there anything else that you want to add into there? Yeah. So just one thing on the, on the team, have I gone fuzzy again? That's right. <laughs> My camera's playing up. Um, yeah, so a couple of years ago, we we went ROI, so we implemented the results only work environment, uh, and that's made a massive, a massive difference in terms of the the productivity, the morale, the motivation of our team. So we allow them to work when, where, and how they wanted, as long as the work gets done. Um, and I've spoken a lot about this in, in videos and things, but but really being in that knowledge economy, being in the service economy, you know, the nine to five um, is an outdated model of how we work. The nine to five exists and came from the industrial age when we used to have to work in factories and make widgets um, between the hours of nine to five, because that's how work got done. 
fast forward 100 plus years, we're in the digital age, but we've still got the working practices of the industrial age. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. We're in the knowledge economy. Who says that work only happens between nine to five? Do you only get an idea? Do you only get that creativity spark between the hours of nine to five? No, you don't. So by giving our employees, our team members, that autonomy to, be able to work independently, to be able to manage their own workloads, to control the demands of their life um, by being able to manage their own time, you know, we we will create, you create a culture of um, employees and your team members wanting to do more, feeling more attached to you, the business. And again, you then bolster that foundational people pillar, uh, which will then help you to uh, deliver the, the great client service that you want. Yeah, they're really interesting. I love that, that, you, that you're challenging that, Reza. And, and I think if anything, this last year has taught us, you know, there's been lots of change, lots of disruption, you know, the account, accountants, bookkeepers, advisors, your value in the world has significantly gone through the roof because people have really started to understand the value that you can bring. Likewise, your workload has gone through the roof over the last 12 months as well. So I believe we're in a unique opportunity right now to hit reset with lots of our client relationships and also relationships with our staff, relationships with our company, with our family, with our, you know, work-life balance. Work-life balance doesn't exist. There's not a thing anymore of work-life balance. There's just decisions and consequences, like just decide what it is that you're, you're going to do, you know. And so I think we have a real opportunity right now to reinvent how does this going to look for us? What does our, what is a, I love the fact that you started with what is the life that you want? What is important for you, Reza? What is that life that I want? And then based on that, what is the business that I want that's going to give me the life that I want? And then you started to look for people that could help you with that and software that could help you with that. Because rather than you struggling and figuring out how to make these breakthroughs, the fastest way to progress is to say, hey, you seem to be getting the results that I want to get. Can you just kind of show me how to go from here to there, please? That'd be really helpful. And you know what I find being in this, I've been in this space for four years now, accountants, bookkeepers, they're among the most generous people I've encountered willing to help each other. However, that is also their undoing because they're also so generous with their clients and willing to give so much away to their clients as well. And that's kind of where maybe they need to rein their generosity back in and make sure they're getting fully compensated for it. So that's been great. Um, uh, Reza, people are asking about whether this has been recorded. The whole thing's recorded. We'll be sharing this out afterwards as well. So let's just start working through some of these questions here. We've got a lot, Reza, so I need you to be fairly punchy with the answers. All right. But by all means, if you need, if you want to delve in, that's fine. Uh, for Manpreet here, any advice on scaling a business? What do you make the transition from working in the business to running the business? Okay. Uh, mindset shift. So you didn't set up the business to do the work of a technician. I'm sure you've come across the stuff by uh, Michael Gerber, E-Myth, et cetera. You were in a job, you weren't really happy with what you were doing. You thought you could do things better, but that involved you having a mindset shift and becoming a business owner. And therefore having that front of mind and making the investments that you need to in people around you or outsourcers to be able to take on board the delivery of the work so you can focus on building the business on your positioning and your pricing. That's what you want to be doing. So I'd say, don't, you know, make those first investments in people and a process so that you can be more on the business than in. Sure. Thank you. Carol Jackson's asked about interest in how you make value pricing work with GoProposal. They've recently changed from effective pricing and practice ignition to GoProposal. They like the flexibility of GoProposal and understand the logic, but interesting how you do that. And I think you've answered that one, Reza. I'm sure we can go a little bit deeper with that, but we'll, we'll 
say that one's been answered. So thank you for that, Carol. Michelle Morris, we have a handful of problem legacy clients. It's an interesting word, legacy. Whenever I see the word legacy, I always see emotion, emotional attachment when I hear the word legacy. <laughs> we have a handful of problem legacy clients. We also have too much work. We are considering just getting rid of the real bad ones. Would you recommend to get rid and start afresh or is it better to give it a chance, i.e. tell them what is changing and why and to give them an opportunity to change with you? Yeah, I mean, the easiest way is to, is to increase your prices. And if they leave, then all well and good. If they stay, well, fine. It's win-win really for you. So uh, yeah, focus on your pricing, reprice the existing clients to make sure that you are getting a share of the value that you are delivering, because that's what pricing is Is that at the end of the day is taking a share of the value that you are generating for your clients. Great. Ellen Shakeshaft from Australia. Do you pick your ideal clients, Reza, so that you know you can bring value to them, which they will pay for? Yes, absolutely. You, must and you have a vetting process for that, do you? Uh, yes, we do. So, you know, we have we have certain systems in place in terms of profiling our prospects, uh, in terms of the position we have in the marketplace, so that, uh, you know, we, we only talk to those which kind of meet certain criteria. Cool. Kira Phelan from Ireland. We've had a few clients who deliver good value in terms of this. We've had a few clients who we deliver good value in terms of the service, timeliness, responsiveness, and they left for a lower price, but came back when they realized why the price was lower and why we charge more. Is there any way of helping clients to understand that different price usually equates to a different service level other than to let them go and find out for themselves? Did you understand that? Did I, did I read that? Uh, is there any way of helping clients understand that different price? usually Without them having to leave, I guess, without them going and, and going and experiencing a lower level service and then coming back to you 12 months later, is there any way that you can kind of intercept that and, and change that mindset in the person without them, without you having to lose fees or that client for 12 months, I guess? Yeah, I guess there's, um, there's wording you can use, there's kind of reframing, there is, um, I guess, for want of a better word, not, you know, fear mongering, uh, but, you know, not on that kind of scale, but just talking about what could go wrong. Because remember, when you are the, uh, when you are the incumbent, there is something called status quo bias, which means it's much harder for someone to move away from the thing that they're attached to. So when that's why it's difficult to win new clients, because there is status quo bias with the existing accountants and the pain has to get to such a level that warrants a move away. So on the flip side, if you are the incumbent, if the status quo bias is with you, then it's, it's very hard for someone to jump ship unless the pain has got so great. And one of the ways of kind of communicating the, um, the risks of moving away, because people are very risk averse. So what are the risks that they could face about moving away? What uh, impact could it have on their business, on their systems, on their ability to be able to, uh, to get the service that they want? So talking about these things and throwing these things in there and talking about experiences that perhaps other clients had that left and came back are ways of um, kind of just reinforcing your status quo bias when you're the incumbent. Yeah. And I think also reminding people of all the great work that you do. I know Paul Meads and he shared this before, which is quite interesting, which is every year he reminds his clients how much taxes saved them, but not just this year since they started with him. So he go, he reminds them of all the value that they do for people. And this is the thing you guys do so much great work for people, but you don't tell them, you don't tell them all the great things you do. So then they hear it from someone else saying, we can do this for you. We can do this for you. And you're like, we, we do all that. 
but you're not telling them. So don't be afraid to kind of communicate the great work that you do. Natasha asks, I think you may have answered this. How do you discuss price there and then? I don't know the price off the top of my head as there are a few complexities that determine the price. And I tend to have the buying conversation process over the telephone. Then say, I will email you a proposal. So we know how to solve that one, don't we? Yeah. Go proposal. How exactly. Have the pricing yeah. conversation in person. And, and yeah, if you're struggling, use, use something like go proposal that will assist you in presenting that price much easier than having to come up with things from the top of your head. That's cool. We've got a question here that says, how qualified or experienced are the team that you've put in place? And then I saw a question over here about asking about offshoring as well. So I don't know if they're kind of tied in or whether you want to kind of answer both those questions at the same time, Reza. Sure. Uh, my team are mainly qualified by experience. In fact, I don't actually think come to think of it. Yeah, we don't we don't have any 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 chartered accountants with name with letters after their name in the practice. Uh, but we're still there. Qualified by experience, they're highly um, uh, good at what they do. AT qualified, obviously, um, and um, yeah, it's, it's 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 client client experience and how they can manage clients is what's important to me. And they have we've got to the point now where they have such solid relationships with clients. The clients invite them out, to, you know, their Christmas dues, and they they send them presents mm-hmm. and you know invite them out to um, to, to meals and, and that sort of thing when they could. So you know. I, Again, one of these things, a lot of firm owners, they're very cagey about relationships and they don't like to let go. Um, and this comes from kind of the older traditional style firms where the partners have those relationships and, you know, every email, every letter will be signed off by the partner. But I'm very much of the mindset that you, like I said at the beginning, we run a business. And when you run a business, if you want to scale, you can't afford to have each and every relationship reliant and dependent on you. You must let your team loose. You must allow your team to talk to clients, to develop their own relationships with clients, with you giving them support and helping them and showing them how to deliver great client service and client experience. But allow your team to develop those relationships because that's key in allowing you to step back and work less hours going forward. Yeah. There's a really interesting book on this, Reza, called, I think it's called The Starfish and the Spider. And it looks at organizations where, to a spider, if you chop the head of it off, the, the, the whole organism dies because the knowledge exists within the head of how the organism runs. A starfish has a radial nervous system. So the knowledge of how the organism runs run throughout, runs throughout every part of the organism. So if you chop a starfish in half, each half of the starfish grows a new starfish because it knows how to grow. And it's about rather than the concept of pushing knowledge up to people with the power to push a decision back down, how can you push the decision-making ability into the hands of everybody who've actually got the knowledge? So it requires a real mindset shift that. That's great. And I threw offshoring in there, Reza. I don't know if you use offshoring or you're an advocate of that. Uh, We don't use offshoring. We did... um... We did uh, try outsourcing with payroll, but then we brought it back in again. Uh, we are now using outsourcing again. So, um, no, by all means, things like I don't, I'd, I'd recommend, uh, you know, I'd, I'd suggest things like um, the the kind of the year end account process. We're actually looking to outsource that now as well. So we we have started to, and we're going to develop that because that is not something which is of value to clients, right? What's but but what is important is the bookkeeping side of things these days. The ability yep. to be able to talk to someone here and now yes. about their problems. So we yes. set up our, our team in such a way that 
bookkeeping gets done here. Everyone, every client has a point of contact that they can talk to and they develop those relationships because that's what they value. Yeah. Accounts, they don't value so much. We're doing everything throughout the course of the year. That is helping us to build relationships because we've got touch points with the client. And then year-end accounts, we can just outsource and get done a lot cheaper, um, which, which then prevent, you know, allows us to be able to grow without having to find skill sets in, uh, in year-end accounts, which is sometimes quite hard to find. 100%. You know, my thinking on this is if it if it's someone that can... Building the relationship is absolutely key. Bookkeeping is a fantastic method for building the relationship because yep. you can be ringing people up and speaking to them. If that service doesn't require a relationship development element, i.e. it's just a case of processing the work, outsource it. Anything that does... Re, that requires making that relationship better, you want to keep hold of that person because that's the person you want to be upskilling and training. Absolutely. That's a great way to split it out. Anonymous attendee, uh, what yeah. practice management software do you use? At the moment, Glide. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, if you have had legacy clients already, how did you address the pricing with them if they were used for a particular fee level? I think you've answered that. You just bit the bullet. Absolutely, yep. Have the, have the tough repricing conversation. Yeah, okay. But know why you're doing it, I guess, is the first part of that. Mm. Once you know why you're doing it, you're not so afraid to let people go. Can you have more than one customer position, i.e. construction and vets, for example? Yeah, absolutely. We can have uh, multiple niches. Yes. Okay, that's cool. I think that's important as well to diversify your portfolio. Um, from Bahia, uh, what work did you drop and leave with your staff most to give you so much time free for yourself, as I am always doing everything all of the time? <laughs> Good question, but here, uh, thankfully, I never got involved in in accounts and tax returns uh, at the beginning. But if you're still doing accounts and tax returns, that's the place to start. Anything of a technical nature, get rid. Um, even all your admin processes, you shouldn't be doing any AMLs, no engagement letters. All those are systematic things that can work off a process that you write up and someone who is very able and organized will be able to do all those things for you. That's great. Thanks. Uh, Adam, uh, one of our biggest challenges currently is the level of involvement required in the accounts and tax production process as the quality is not sufficient enough for us to be comfortable to perform a minimal review. Is this a problem you had and how is it solved? Uh, quality or is not sufficient involvement required in accounts and tax return. Um, I can't say we have, but we, we've had kind of experienced uh, staff that uh, know the process. So we had our quality checks in place, but now having, looking at uh, outsourcing, some of the, the providers are actually, you know, very good. So be, if you're, if you're selective about who you choose for outsourcing, some of them are, are actually very good in terms of the quality control when it comes to accounts production. Okay. William Toombs asked, and we keep this a repeated question, how do you go about raising your prices with your current client base? I am just going to insert this here, selling to serve. <laughs> this is the new version that's actually got some thickness to it. So it's twice the size of the old one, and it really tackles the biggest section here is mindset, because I don't think that repricing existing clients is a challenging thing. It's not a difficult thing to do. It just requires a change in your mindset to understand why you're doing it. So I would certainly get that as part of this process. But do you have any other specific advice about raising prices with existing clients that you've not said before no i think you've said this haven't you feel the fear and do it anyway yeah yeah that's cool uh which proposal software do you use the most from here 
Got a proposal. Thank you. Um, I'm making it the same as Reza. That's cool. Sarah Taylor, Reza, do you use the packages option within Go Proposal to pick three options, or do you have a different section for these in your pricing setup? I have a different section for them under specific line items when we have the choice of uh, three options to give people. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Um, how do you differentiate the three FD packages? This is from Azam. Okay. So yeah, I have a, I have a very detailed um, brochure that kind of goes into what's included in which. And actually, if you, I think Morgan put it in the chat box, I have, um, I've actually, I'm, I'm, I can give you access to these. I have a, a special offer. If you go to resahooda.com forward slash GP, uh, you'll see how you can get access to them. What I actually give the brochure away, you can take the full text of it. You can put it onto your logo and letterhead and start using it. But essentially it's around the, the na different nature of clients that would require this. So the growth FD packages for those companies that are uh, growing fast, that will require input on a much closer basis. Uh, that don't have an in-house uh, finance team. The Reliance FD package is those that are uh, happy. You may have some uh, in-house financial input. They're not high growth, but they need someone to oversee their financial system, their financial controls. And the comfort one is, you know, they've already got uh, in a finance team in place and they just want an oversight on what they are doing. So that's how we kind of split it out, looking at kind of the individual client avatars that would value having this service. That's great. We, we are going to continue answering all of these questions, guys, for you. Um, Morgan has just posted this in the, the chat there because I realize we've got to 12 o'clock. We're going to still keep going. So if you can still stay with us, then please do. We'll make sure we answer all of your questions. But resahooda.com forward slash GP is there in the links that Morgan's just shared. That's if you want to get some of this advice and guidance from uh, Reza. And I'm just going to ask you now as well, Reza, if people want to find out more about you or learn from you or work with you, what's the best way that they can do that? Sure. Well, yeah, if they go to that website, resahooda.com forward slash GP, it's all on there in terms of the, the support, the guidance, the accountability, the mentoring that I give to accountants to help them to avoid the mistakes that I made over the last 13 years and help them get to their goals a lot faster than I did. So yeah, if you want to shortcut your learnings and your progress, head on over to that webpage and um, you can find out how. That's great. Thanks, Reza. We'll keep going here. Ashley's asked, are there any plans to update GoProposal to have the option for three-tier pricing for some services? Yeah. It is on our roadmap, actually, to consider. And if we can develop a way of doing it, then more than happy to incorporate that. N not a problem. We'll, we'll figure that out. We'll figure it out. It's cool. Karen Bennett, how do you keep the service at the agreed level if your nature is to help and you do want the cost and you do not... I'm I'm sure it says do not means, I'm sure she meant to put there, you do not want the customer to fail, um, e.g. virtual director tiers of feedback. Don't quite get that part, but, you know, you've agreed what you want to do, your tendency is to want to help more, they may be struggling, how do you manage that? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion now, I mean, and uh, that we need to be moving towards kind of a, a subscription type thinking which means that, and actually here that, you know, that having the, the one price actually helps because it's, it's that one price should give them access to you because the, the biggest value that we give our clients is the ability to be there, available to them to solve their problems, to answer the phone when they call, when they're in need. 
So we need to make that a fundamental part of our offering, which means that what you'll probably have to do is to increase your prices to a level where you can afford for people to call you when they like and not feel that you're going to charge them for a five or a 10 minute phone call. Right. I know some people are kind of building in 10 minute, 15 minute kind of uh, line items and go proposal. I, I, I would very much get you to start thinking or have the thinking that actually this is the most valuable thing that you offer to your clients. And if you can, if you think of your clients more in the sense of don't try and make a profit on every transaction because you won't, right? Think of your clients in terms of what is the lifetime value of that client to you? And when you think in that way, then you allow yourself to spread the risk and spread the costs of delivering your service over your entire portfolio, because you're thinking long-term, you're thinking lifetime value. So some clients, yeah, they may call you a lot when they have a problem, but then they won't call you for the rest of the year, for example, right? But you've got enough slack, you've got enough profit coming in from your entire portfolio that you can afford to do that because that is where your value lies. Your value lies is being there for clients and being accessible in helping them solve their problems and challenges. Yeah. You want to be the number they call when they have a problem. You want to be that trusted advisor. Don't make it difficult for them to get in touch with you. Yeah. I was put a, I love that. And I put a quote in there from my book, uh, Reza, which is it's never been about whether they can afford you. It's always been about the time you can afford them and you can't afford them anytime. If you don't charge right for it in the first place, you know, it, price is just that linchpin that solves all these other challenges. Um, from anonymous again, how do you hire currently a sole practitioner? I'm currently a sole practitioner to expand and uh, will need a team, but not sure how to do that in terms of outsourcing, hiring, using subcontractors as I want to take myself out of the day to day. I appreciate that's a very, very big question. Yeah, I think if you're just on your own, uh, first thing to do is to hire a VA, someone, an admin to take at least take all that away from you. And you'll notice a massive difference in the amount of time that will free up will be phenomenal. Yeah, it's amazing that people naturally think I need some, I need a fee earner, or I need to bring a fee earner in, but they don't realize how much time is being wasted with admin staff. I think it's like 40 or 50%, something like that. So yeah, admin staff, that's great. Uh, can you clarify the four steps, please? This is from Natasha. Okay, so the four pillars were pricing, process, people, and positioning. There's more about it on that uh, webpage uh, that you just heard about. That's great. Thank you. Do you, uh, Michelle Morris, do your team need to be qualified or able to complete the task in full before you implement ROI effectively? No, not necessarily. We have, you know, we have a mix of uh, juniors and experienced staff and it works for everybody. You give them that trust and autonomy to be able to manage the demands of their life uh, and uh, to be able to kind of you know work when, where, and how they want to manage all, all the demands that they have, and they will, they will, um, they will produce. And at the end of the day, the the only the only employee agreement in a ROI is do your job, keep your job. What you do is you create such an awesome culture that people want to stay within it. That you give them all the autonomy and the control, but have expectations as to this is what we expect of you. And if you're hitting those expectations, all well and good. You can stay in this nice, cozy culture we have. If you don't, then you're out and you've got to go back to someone else who's going to micromanage you and work nine to five. So focus on creating an awesome culture that people don't want to leave. They will want to stay and produce. Yeah, that's great. Skylar was asked here, uh, hi Reza, would you mind sharing the three tier 
main key differences again using more generical accounting terminology as i come from a different country and finding it hard to understand not sure what hmrc is etc okay uh yeah hmrc is basically the equivalent of the irs skylar if you're in the us the uh, the tax authorities essentially so i think you when i was explaining those three options it's it's the risk of the inquiry so again it's an unknown we are um we are giving the client certainty in respect of if there is an inquiry, there'll be no additional cost to them. And we will handle every inquiry as long as it takes uh, for, you know, as long as it takes for, you know, uh, until the highest courts. So they have no extra, extra amount to pay. That's great. Uh, Richie Lennon, is there any books or source of information to learn more about results only work environment? Yeah, read the book Work Sucks by Callie Resler and Jody Thompson. Thank you. Uh, Lindsay Bennett, pricing. I often struggle to articulate the value to clients to justify the price. Any advice on how to do this? Yeah, that's not a, a quick answer, but, you know, as at the beginning, it's all about, you know, know what your value is. Your time is not your value. Your value is the, the peace of mind you give, the stress you take away, the time you save, the money you're able to make them, the tax you save. Focus on the outcomes that you're generating for clients and then talk about your value in the context of what's important to a client. And in turn, automatically, that will then increase the perception of value uh, to whoever you're talking to. That's great. But here, what are your top three books you would advise us to read to help with our journey? Well, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> that is a tough one. Uh, work sucks, definitely. Um, <laughs> oh, what's the one? The <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> uh, there's a book called Drive by Daniel Pink, which is all about people, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. What really drives employee motivation? That was a good one. Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. That was one of my favorites as well. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got so many. Uh, ping me a message here in the Facebook group and, uh, and I'll give you a list. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Kabir, how would you advise someone who's interested in starting an accounting business? Wow, that's a big one. Uh, get started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Paddy Quinn, for tracking employee productivity, do you pay them based on the income they bring or do you still pay them based on the hours they work? We still have to give them a salary because of employment law and all the rest of it. So they're still on the same salary, but we're not tracking time. We're not tracking hours. We're tracking outputs and outcomes. So everyone has, uh, you know, we have a, a billing target. We have uh, metrics that we track and those metrics are aligned to what is important for clients. So for example, in terms of quality, we measure, you know, how can we measure whether we're doing a good job? Well, if we're getting Google reviews from clients, when we ask them, that's a good measure of whether we're doing a good job. So let's measure that as a measure of whether we're doing the right things. Clients value turnaround time. So let's value our turnaround times when it comes to phone calls, emails, or accounts. You know, how fast are we doing those? Because that's important to a client. So have a think about the, 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 res the things that you want your employees to do and work backwards to work out the metrics that you need to put in place for them to do the things that you want them to do. We're still, the questions aren't going down, Reza, because people keep adding them at the bottom. So we're going to have to move fairly quickly. All right. I'm, I'm going to answer this one. Fozier has asked, the problem clients already take up too much time. I find explaining anything new just means throwing good time after bad. Increase your prices. Charge more, then you can yeah. afford to give them more time. And if they don't stay, you've lost them anyway, so it's not an issue. So again, pricing solves the problem. Anonymous, as a business owner, how do you manage and retain new employee hire who is doubling 
who is double your age and more credentials and experience than you. That's quite specific, that one. Yeah, you, I mean, you just, you just, you just do. Um, <laughs> when I came into the practice, I was fairly young, I was about 27, and there were people who had been at the practice since it started. So they'd already been there about 25 years. Uh, but, the, you know, they're in their zone. They're doing what they do well. Uh, you, as the business owner, you're looking out for everybody. So, um, you know, as long as you've got their back, uh, they you will earn their respect. Yeah. And I think just building a, a business that they enjoy working in, where you remove the stresses from them, where they, you know, you've, you've taken, you've systemized things, you're paying them a good wage, you're giving them a great work environment, then they're not going to necessarily want to leave. But then the next question here from Azam is, uh, have you had staff leave and take clients with them? What have you done? Uh, not had um, no we've had staff leave in the past before we went to Rowie but don't, never have uh, any clients left Kelvin once you managed to get the pricing pillar sorted what efficiencies were key for you to introduce in order to achieve the level of turnover you are generating with a comparatively small number of team members um, question yeah I mean efficiencies in terms of yeah the way we do things so the um Tech has helped with that. So using cloud technology and all the different apps that have come in, which meant that we can do things a lot faster. One thing I haven't mentioned yet is, is the big opportunity that I see now. And this is something you can get access to on that uh, on that web page, reserhood.com forward slash GP, is the ability now for us to work with our clients closer than ever before because we've got cloud technology in place, which means that the fastest growing service as it were for us is to actually take on managing a full finance function for our clients now that might seem a lot but actually all it is really if you think about it at a smaller level is actually doing all the bookkeeping for them uh, doing the management accounts basically being their internal bookkeeper or finance manager but it's so much more than that because we're actually creating those systems for them to ensure that everything is done seamlessly so that they get the output that they need to make better business decisions. And that has been our highest growth area over the last six or seven years where we stumbled across it. We had clients who had their own in-house bookkeeper or finance manager when they were using Sage and they came to us because they had left and said, look, we're in the lurch now. What do we do? Can you take over? And we started to take over. And I used to price this before the days of Go Proposal and it was done off the back of, right, um, what can I charge for this? Well, actually, they were paying the bookkeeper or finance manager 35 grand. We'll do it all for 20 grand. And just like that, again, it's, it, it, it's about everyone needs contrast when it comes to pricing. So when you're having these price conversations, and I, I put this in the brochures that I have created for you as well, you need to show them that what is the cost of actually you employing people to do this in-house? Yes. Often it's a much greater than you'll be able to provide this bespoke tailor-made to your clients because you can give them a piece of a finance director. You know, they don't need a full-time finance director, but you can give them kind of 10 to 15% access whenever they need it as part of your all-in-one package, similarly with a bookkeeper, similarly with a financial controller. So if you can get this right, if you can position this service, that is something that really propel you and allow you to earn those much bigger fees from clients going forward. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to take this next one. How do you tackle change? In, unless you want to add something. How do you want to, how do you tackle change in a larger firm? All these things are great, but I find change to be very slow and trying to implement things like Go Proposal. So I was talking with a firm yesterday, a top 100 firm, 
and uh, who, who are using GoProposal. And it's very difficult if you haven't got strong leadership and you haven't got all of the partners pulling in the same direction with the same motives. And very often, you know, you've got different partners with different agendas and therefore you have a large firm actually operating as separate businesses and they actually work, they're working against their strength, which is their size. And the moment they can actually start working together and moving towards a central destination, then they can start to pull all of their knowledge together and start with developing a system around pricing and really improving. And until they can do that, they're actually very vulnerable. And although they look big and large and they've got, we've been in business for a hundred years on the website, et cetera, they're actually very vulnerable to smaller, much more nimble firms who can make decisions, more like Reza, just smashing through the middle of it because they're able to make decisions and do things. So it is a very difficult one to bring everyone together. And, and we have worked closely with, with larger firms like that to be able to do that. I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Reza. Yeah, no, I agree with you, James. Absolutely. It is, yeah, it is um, difficult in a larger firm, but um, just explain the the benefits and what can be achieved and hopefully that will help you make progress. Do you adjust your pricing for those clients who do not provide the paperwork on time for you to do the bookkeeping in a timely manner? It's from Shaba. Yeah, absolutely. This should be part of your uh, questions when you're uh, when you're going through that pricing process. That there again, the ability to you know we talked about choices. Go proposal actually doesn't give you the ability to just give three choices, but the ability to give millions of choices because you can build in questions within the line items to take account of all these different behaviors from clients. And what you want to be doing is to reward the clients that do things in your way and give you information on time and use receipt bank or whatever they've renamed it now and auto entry and things like that. And at the same time, therefore, clients who are not prepared to do it that way or can't be bothered or just want to dump receipts to you, they have a higher price. And then that's fair to everybody. Uh, people who are willing to, to do some of your work for you get a lower price. People who are not have a higher price. Yeah, it's quite interesting that I am against three-tier price, or, I, you know, I, I oppose three-tier pricing. But when I actually looked at our accountancy firm's pricing in GoProposal, I figured out that we actually have 14 quadrillion possible pricing combinations. So, yeah, I'm against three tiers, but 14 quadrillion is absolutely fine. <laughs> um, we're just about to bring, uh, to outsource payroll. Why did you bring it back in-house? Uh, because the technology enabled us to do it even cheaper, faster than the outsourced model. Cool. Uh, what does a virtual assistant do? A lot. <laughs> we find bookkeeping to be very laborious and loss making in many instances. What margins do you make? Mm, it's a margins question. I think we can answer that Massive. Uh, in terms of fees, but you make good money on that. Yeah. I mean, our, high, our highest fees are kind of, you know, 50,000 plus. Uh, and most of that is kind of because, because we, the thing is, remember this line I, I heard from somebody, I can't remember where, but when you own the numbers, you own the relationship. You want to own the numbers. Just think about that. When you own the numbers, you own the relationship. I love that. You want control over the bookkeeping because that gives you control over the relationship. Yeah, that Morgan, that's our quote. We used, to, we used to be registered auditors up until about three years ago. And I knocked it on the head because it was too much hassle. Um, and nobody values an audit. And we ended up making a hell of a lot more money doing bookkeeping work than we did auditing. So it's highly valuable. It's just... The problem we do is we, and the name doesn't help either. We need to reframe bookkeeping because bookkeeping is so much more yeah, yeah. than just entering information into ledgers, right? 
Bookkeeping is actually the basis, the foundation that enables business owners to make decisions about their business and their life. And if those foundations aren't there, then they've got no business. They've got their the shooting in the dark. So it's, you know, we need to reframe it. Full finance function, real time reporting, talk about it in those ways and talk about bookkeeping systems rather than just clients and you thinking that it's just menial stuff. It's not, it's highly important. And without bookkeeping, there is no advisory. There's no management accounts. There's no decisions yeah. making uh, taken by, by business owners. I know people are like, I always pull them up on it. If, if ever a bookkeeper says, yeah, but we're just a bookkeeper. I'm like, hang on a minute. What do you mean just a bookkeeper? And they kind of see, there's this kind of hierarchical thing that we're the bookkeeper and then the accountants are here, et cetera. I know of a bookkeeping practice in Scotland who are doing amazing stuff. And they're like, we are everything. I don't understand what accountants do. I don't understand the value they bring. Like we unlock the entire value of the relationship. So yeah, completely needs to be reframed up in terms of what you do there. Um, what net profit margin should we be achieving these days? Never. I'm always a little bit hesitant to get into specific pricing or specific profit margin questions. But if you want to kind of give any indication or parameters for that, Reza. You, you can earn 50% if you, if you build things in the right way. There we go. Now we're talking. Um, how can we have diverse client positions and have clear marketing? Would be being a specialist in one put off the other customer type that you're going after. Uh, if you're talking about having multiple niches, no, absolutely not. Because let's say, I mean, we have multiple niches. We have a niche in property tax, for example, and we have separate landing pages and areas on the website for that. We're just creating a new brand, which is going to appeal to uh, content creators and social media influencers, which means nice. that our messaging can be on point for those on a separate website, landing pages, etc. That's cool. What receipt capture software do you use, please? Auto entry. Great. Outsourcing services. Uh, outsourcing services that clients don't put so much value on. Who do you plan to use to outsource your year-end preparation to? And do you allow the outsourcer to use their processes? Um, or does the outsourcer conform to your workflow process? So uh, only answer what you're happy to answer there, Reza. Uh, yeah, we use their, uh, we kind of, we, we, we looked at their process and we were happy with it because it was quite comprehensive. So we are using their process. Yeah, so people asking who you use for outsourcing. I don't know if you want to share that or not. It's up to you. Uh, yeah, well, it's at the early stages of relationships. So I don't want to kind of. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. That, that's, that's perfect. Uh, the price discussion at the outset, I find not too problematic. Sometimes we have difficulty when we're asked to do something that fails, that falls outside the engagement at a later point. For example, a reference for a mortgage. Some clients can be resistant to that. Any tips on starting that conversation? Just for you answer that, Reza, or, or I may be able to answer it. And this is for Jason. You know, things like, you know, the, doing mortgage advice or, you know, do they, what the tax savings can be on a car or whatever, they're significant pieces of work and to my mind need to be charged for. And when you think about this, this is not just about pricing. This is to ensure that you're covered against giving that advice as well. So the moment you or your member, if your members of staff starts to give advice on an area that you have not protected and covered in your engagement letter because you've not covered it off in the proposal. If you don't have something in your proposal that talks about ad hoc work, you now could be exposed. So not only are you not making any money on that extra service, you're now exposing yourself to risk for giving advice on that. And we've been, you know, not only within Go Proposal, but we've got Oversuite as well, which handles all of the engagement letter aspect to make sure that you're fully compliant around this. You just need to make sure you protected yourself against that risk. Otherwise you kind of double, double whammy. But have you, have you got any tips on starting that conversation, Reza? Yeah, I think there is, there is a fear around kind of saying something is extra, but actually 
every most businesses um have extras in if something is not within scope you know if you you're, you're having a builder to do work for you and then you ask them to kind of add on an extra you know fence panel or something it's going to be an extra because it wasn't part of the agreed scope and similarly you have like your clients do you have a pipeline of work right for your existing clients and if something comes in that will it force you to stop that pipeline of work and fit something else in then clients are can, will understand that and they'll understand that okay fine you want a mortgage reference done i'm sure we can do that we can attend to it but we would have to fit it into our pipeline and that would be an extra small amount whatever it is that is highly valuable to them they want it done quick they want it because it's going to mean that they can move into their dream home these things are highly valuable so yeah you should be charging for them and clients will be happy to pay if you communicate the value in the right way yeah. And I think calling it out up front, just like a builder saying, right, well, we're quoting you for this fence panel. If you want additional fence panels, this is what it's going to cost. Or I can show you how that's going to be. So actually managing those expectations early on as well. But do not be afraid. You know, if you go to a restaurant, uh, this is why I think having menu pricing really helps. If you go to a restaurant and you say to the waiter or waitress, can I have a side order of fries? And they come back and they add it to your bill. You're like, you're not surprised or shocked that it's been added on because it's clear and the price is clearly articulated. So having that built into the menu, you know, when you're taking people through the proposal, you can show people if you want any extras, such as a mortgage application, a review of a, a car for your business, et cetera. These are all things we can easily add on here. So call it out up front. Mm. Do client avatars work? How would you go about creating these? Yeah, absolutely. Know your ideal clients, get to know the clients that you work with, figure out what keeps them awake at night, what are their frustrations, what are their dreams, what are their objectives. And um, yeah, that would help you to then carve out messaging that will appeal to them. Yeah, there are some really in-depth questions here and they just seem to keep going. So I'm just going to whiz through and try and pick out some of the easy ones. I'm sorry. Um, your mentoring looks to be understandably accounting focused, Reza. How directly implement it, would it, implementable would it be for a bookkeeping firm? Uh, well, a lot of what we do these days is is bookkeeping and kind of communicating the value of that. So there's a lot of bookkeepers on the on the program as well. You'll get value from it. Yeah. Uh, one last question from Kieran. Do you still keep timesheets? No uh, way. To monitor? No way. Okay, cool. Ellie, Allab Ellie Appleby, you're asking about Row. We've answered that about the book, the first book to read. Just remind us of that book, the first book to read. Reza, what was the book for... for uh, Oh, um, uh, work sucks. I've also got a free lead magnet on my website as well, which goes into the detail of, of what Rowie is and how you can implement it. So on the website, resohooder.com, there'll be a, a Rowie lead magnet. Yeah, you've asked about, uh, someone's asked about, have you achieved a 15 hour working week? I imagine you work more than that, but you're talking about 15 hours working in your accounting business. Yeah, that's right. And ha have you achieved that? In the practice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Jeff Selby. Hey, James, that's a great webinar. Thanks. Who in your team manages client reviews? Do you do them? Do you do them if pricing needs to increase or do you leave that to a team member or a client manager? The team members can do it now. So whoever's in charge of the client or even uh, Karen, who is in our admin, she can do them as well. Now that everyone has access to we'll go proposal. Yeah, that's great. Uh, could you please suggest the book on value pricing? You've got a book, haven't you? Uh, I have indeed. Yeah. There's, I've got a, I've written a book, transform your profits through price. You can try that. Um, or something by Ron Baker, but it's a, it's a tough read. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I always think you, you gotta be a little bit careful with that because it needs to be translated into an accounting firm because the difference is, is that you're not buying an Apple product. You're not buying a one-off product. This is a relationship. Yeah. So it has to be done in the right way. And I'm not, 
I've had a bit of a running with Ron before, but I'm not quite sure if that necessarily translates directly to a relationship, which is what we're actually trying to build here. So I'm sure you help to navigate some of that better, um, Reza. Uh, Philip Wood, how would you, how did you take your team member that has been there for 25 years plus with you on this journey? Yeah, it was it was hard at the beginning, kind of this uh, fresh faced uh, kid coming in and uh, suddenly being his his boss or his or her boss. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, you, as long as you are working in the best interests and uh, you've got their back and you are putting in systems in place with your business knowledge, with your hat as the business owner, then, um, you know, people will fall into line once they see that you've got their back and you're, you're helping them by, by taking the business forward because the, the business's sustainability means that is their sustainability. Yeah. What is your seven staff setup? How many managers, basic accounts, production staff, et cetera, admin do you have? Okay. One admin, three managers, three juniors. Cool. Um, is your VA in the UK or based offshore? Uh, I don't have a VA. We have an in-house um, receptionist admin person. What software are you using for payroll? Moneysoft. I struggle with clients thinking they can easily do the bookkeeping themselves. How do you convince them they may not be able to do such a good job? There is a page in the book, Eleanor, and I know you've read it because you actually proofread the book. Look, I've got your name as the editor, Eleanor. So I'm going to send you a link to go back and to read that. But um, for you to answer it, how do you convince them not to do it themselves? Uh, point out their errors and make it more expensive for them to do it rather than you to do it. I've just started a bookkeeping business and find it very difficult to get clients due to businesses thinking that they can do their own bookkeeping. Same thing. How can you do this? How can you respond? Again, I've got a section in the book. I'll try and I'll pick it out and I'll post it online if you don't want to get the book. But it's about you've got to communicate everything that you put into it. Like, you know, don't be afraid of telling people everything that you do. They won't do it. They will not be able to do it themselves. Show them the depth that you go into and articulate that and show them that if they want to do it themselves, like Reza said before, explain where things can go wrong. And if things do go wrong, how you what you're going to charge to unpick it, because the problem with bookkeeping is it's how far away from the mistake that it gets spotted that the cost is going to increase. If I can spot it this week, it's going to be this much. If it's going to, if it's three years ago, that bookkeeping error was made, the cost could be several thousand pounds. So you need to really articulate those, those issues there. We use ClearBooks for our bookkeeping software, which our clients and I love. Not really into zero, but we missed out on the apps that can allow us to offer more. Is there something we should review there? So James, is that for me? <laughs> yeah, that was oh. for you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I thought we, it was just a, a comment, not the one. Sorry, we, we, they're saying that we use ClearBooks okay. for our bookkeeping software, which the clients love and they love. They're not really into zero, but they miss out there from the, the whole app ecosystem. Is there something that you think they need to review? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a personal preference, really. Um, obviously, the kind of so-called market leaders are zero QuickBooks, but if you've got a niche offering and you're able to deliver value through using ClearBooks, then that's your prerogative. Yeah. Um, I lost there. Okay, that's it. What, Paul Late, what is your view on buying fee blocks and of other practices versus organic growth? Yeah, it's something I've thought of in the past, but uh, never did it because it's because of organic growth. There's so much potential out there. If you can just get your positioning right, then 
it's much cheaper to be able to grow organically and, and not have the hassle of trying to uh, change your culture or ways of working by, you know, buying up a, a fee block. Yeah. As Amma's asked here, thank you, grateful, who mentors you? I'll just tell you who mentors me. So I've got some great friends around me that um, are doing brilliantly in their business, very successful business owners who I will contact and reach out to. And uh, obviously we speak very regular on a weekly basis. So friends is is, is one thing. I'm never afraid to reach out to bigger business owners than me. So uh, like Gary Turner is very generous and I'll, I'll, I will personally reach out to people who are further ahead than me on my journey and ask me, in terms of paid mentorship, a guy called Paul Scanlon is who is my uh, mentor, and he's a you know great guy. Who, who's your mentor, Rezo? Do you have one? Yeah, I've worked with um, you know mentors in the past, uh, Martin Bissett, Mark Wickersham, um, and I've got kind of a close circle as well of business owners in in different uh, areas. But um, my mentors at the moment are the are podcasts and books that I read um, and YouTube videos that I consume in my area to it you're always learning i'm i'm now I've kind of you know i spend a lot of my if i were to cut up my the percentage of my working week i'd say i spend a good 25 percent on my own learning and development in terms of consuming content reading podcasts and actually then creating content from it because it's all well and good consuming content but if you don't create anything from it any any resources or apply it and implement it then it kind of just is is a bit of a waste and just it disappears so um yeah that's uh yeah last question and we'll, we'll wrap this up thank you everyone for still staying on this call with us how do you prevent menu pricing which ron baker advises not to do so I, I never quite know the wording of all this stuff and I, I never quite fully understand the, what value pricing means or whatever. But I mean, I, I would say that within GoProposal, I mean, it is effectively a menu pricing. It's very complex in that, like I say, we've got many iterations and variations of different prices within there. So you can have millions, if not billions, trillions, quadrillions of, of variations and things. So I'm not quite sure if that's what he he, he argues against. Um but what, what's your, do you have an answer to that? Because you, you know Ron Baker more than me and what he advises there, Reza. Yeah, I, th I think what Steve is talking about, menu pricing, you mean three options. Um, right, okay, right, Ron, okay. Ron has changed now where, you know, he's talking about subscription economy and having everyone onto one price. Um, I, I don't really agree with, with Ron in that respect in terms of um, pricing the portfolio that he talks about. I'm still with... You know, we haven't even fully grasped value pricing in the accounting profession, I don't believe, uh, in terms of pricing the the customer um, and having, but but having, you know, at the end of the day, it's not giving certainty and choice. If you're using GoProposal, you are essentially giving subscription at different levels. So you're never going to have one price that's going to be fit every customer, but it gives you the ability to use parameters to give a price to customers, which will vary depending upon their risk profile, depending upon what they value, the scope and preferences of each client engagement, which gives you a better yeah. result. That's cool. We've also developed a concept called data-driven pricing as well, which we did with an integration with Xavier, which is now called Dext Precision. Uh, and obviously they integrate with zero but now they integrate with quickbooks i believe now as well and so what that does it brings in data into the into go proposals such as transaction volume number of items they have to reconcile number of bank accounts all this really valuable data that you can then use which then ju it's just like factual like well we we were processing this number of transactions for you last month and you've now got this number of transactions therefore your price has gone up and so it's that data 
the, the data is driving the price, um, just like it would drive it with how many members of staff you run in for payroll. And again, we're looking at bringing data in to be able to inform that and maybe even automate it as well, which would be really interesting. Look, Reza, we've gone way over, way over time. We've got 150 people still with us. I'm so grateful to everyone here. I hope you've got so much value from this. Reza, I'm so grateful to you for being so generous with what you share. I know you do this anyway. You're constantly sharing videos and knowledge uh, on LinkedIn. If you're not currently following Reza, please go and follow him on LinkedIn. He shares some great videos on there. You've got the link on here as well, which is rezahudder.com forward slash GP. That's correct. Yeah, where you've got some really useful things. We've got this as a recording. Thank you, Morgan. We've got this as a recording. We'll be sending this out probably by tomorrow. So this will all be topped and tailed and sent out for you to share. We may even turn this into a podcast as well and to, to be able to share, to be able to kind of, you know, get your, your team to listen to this as well. Guys, I know this has been a challenging time for everybody over the last 12 months and we don't know how long these challenges that we're currently facing are going to continue. All I would say to you is that your value in the world has significantly increased over the last 12 months and it's going to continue to increase as well. The place that you start to get out of this rat race that you may be in in terms of working far too much for the effort that you're putting in uh, and for the reward that you're getting, sorry, it all comes down to pricing and making sure that you are charging the fee that enables you to deliver the level of service that your clients want to pay for. Res has got some great work around this. Res's mentoring group will really help you with this. We have a lot of people come from that group into Go Proposal, which actually works as a really nice team effort because they come over to us. We help them set them up on the system and do all the technical aspects. And then Reza covers them off from a mentoring aspect to get them to go through and have these difficult discussions with people. You've got my book here, Selling to Serve, to help you with a lot of that mindset. Res has got a lot of content that he puts out there as well to help you with it. Guys, I'm sure you, if you anything like me, you've taken lots of notes off the back of this, but only if you take action will anything actually change. We don't want this just to have been an hour and a half entertaining session. We want this to actually make a difference. So unless you actually go and take action now, nothing is going to change for you. And all I would say to you is while you're in the mindset, while you're fired up and believe that you can do this, go and take that action, whether that is following Reza on LinkedIn, going and signing up for his content on the link that we've shared with you, going and ordering the book, go and take one step now while you're in that mindset, because that one step will give you the momentum to keep going and to break through the, the challenges that you're, you're facing to ultimately get to where you want to be. Reza, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to add or to say before we wrap things up? Uh, thank you very much, James. It's been a it's been a pleasure, and um, yeah, like I can't echo your words enough. Take action. That's what it's all about. Don't let this be just another webinar that you attend and move on, and don't n nothing changes in your life. Take That's action cool. now so that you make progress going forward. One action I'd like to all say, guys, if you can go and find us, go and connect with me and Reza on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, whatever. Go and share one quote, one key takeaway, one learning that you've got. I wrote a few things down here, so I'm going to be sharing mine. Go and just tag us both in. Go and share one insight, one takeaway, or what you're going to do next. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.